Do you ever wonder if you're saved? Or what saved even means? Or what God is like? Or what Jesus did? Some people are embarrassed to ask these really basic questions, but please don't be. They're the most important questions you could ever ask. And that's why I want to give you a brand new copy of this little book I wrote called The Basics. Uh, you can get your paper copy or your digital copy or your audio copy or your video version just by going to timeofgrace.org slash the basics. Are you a humble person? That is a really difficult question to answer. Because if you say, yes, yes, I am humble, quite humble, well, suddenly you don't seem humble at all. But yet God commands humility to be upon us. But in our world, humility is not honored. It's really not valued. It's not seen as an asset. It's seen as a liability. In the workplace, if someone's truly humble, they oftentimes get passed over for promotions. They get looked down upon by bosses that they don't have enough in them for the company. And look at the sports teams. Someone who is truly humble doesn't make sports center, doesn't make captain of the football team or the volleyball team. They get passed over and passed by. But yet God commands to us to be humble. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Man, that is a tough command. To consider others better than ourselves, that I need to get pushed down and be a, a punching bag. This entire week, we're going to be looking at finding joy in the difficult commands of God. And today, looking at joy in humility. Now, how can we do that? How can you truly value someone over you who's mean and rude to you? Maybe you've got a teacher who's just phoning it in. He doesn't care about the class. He doesn't care about you. How do you value him above yourself? Maybe in your workplace, you've got a rude boss or a nasty coworker. How do you value them above you? See, Jesus is only asking you to do what he himself does. And we see that in verses 7 and 8, also in Philippians 2. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself, wrapping himself in the weakness of human flesh. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus valued you, put you over himself. And God asked the same of you to others. Now, how do you do that? How do you find joy in humility? When God asks you to be humble, it does not mean he's asking you to be a punching bag, to be beat up, or have no self-value or worth. You have value. Christ gave you value in his love, in his forgiveness poured into you. You can stand as a confident Christian, thankful for what Christ has done for you. It doesn't mean you're pushed down. It means that you, in humility, can raise others up. It's not about you thinking less of yourself. It's about you thinking about others more. And that is how you find joy in humility. When I was in college, a historic flood hit the city where I went to school. And having grown up just 20 minutes away, I felt an extra connection to, to do something. So I went down to the riverbed and I sandbagged until 2 a.m., helping to try to save a business that was there from the floodwaters that was coming in. We thought we had done our job, but yet the waters rose a, a little higher than we were expected. They, they found a little dip in our sandbag wall, came through and just destroyed everything and, and flooded that business. It was so sad, all of that work and all that effort and destruction still happened. See, the devil is like water. 
He finds the low point in your life to, to flood in with temptation after temptation and we fall victim to that. He blows our lives up. There's such struggle that ends up happening there. Paul describes this frustration that we all have with temptation very well in Romans chapter 7. This is verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Paul struggled with temptation as we all do. But I'm here to tell you today that you can have joy in temptation. Now, that seems strange. It seems odd. How can you have joy in temptation? Shouldn't joy be safe for something that's joyful? Like graduating high school and, and getting that degree or getting married to the love of your life, having your first child, those should be joyful. But you can have joy in temptation. How is that? Well, joy in temptation is when you're no longer tempted by something that used to tempt you. So for me, I have joy in temptation when it comes to alcohol. Because in college, I, I struggled at times. I would feel awful, I would repent of it, but it was a struggle that I had. Had. I don't have that struggle anymore. Joy in temptation over alcohol because it doesn't touch me like it did. And so I have joy in the power of Jesus in my life. So if you've got a struggle, a struggle in temptation, remember all the victories that God has given to you over past things that you used to struggle with. See God's power, see God's might, and know that in Jesus, with his love, his forgiveness, his power and his grace, he can help you. It'll take some time, but he can help you to have joy in that temptation that what used to get you no longer does. Life is busy, exhaustingly busy. I oftentimes feel like one of those professional plate spinners, minus the professional part. You know, those people that put them on the plates on a pole and spin them and they move down and spin another plate and they just keep moving down the line. And eventually at one plate starts to wobble and they spend a lot of time there. Others start to wobble and they, they fall down and break. Don't you feel like that in life? That you just can't keep everything spinning, everything balanced, everything whole in your life. And it's exhausting. Now I'm here to tell you, you can find joy in exhaustion, but I have to warn you, this devotion is not a how to declutter your life devotion. It's not three easy steps to get rid of three things in your life because if you're like me, you'll remove three things and six more will come in its place. But instead, this is all about what is the priority in your life. After Paul lists down all of his accomplishments, all the great things that he did and how busy he was and exhausted he was in life, Paul says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And then in verse 8, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul said that all of his accomplishments, all the things that made him so busy and so exhausted in life, they were rubbish. The Greek word there is skubala, which really means animal feces. Paul's saying that the best of what he had, it was like dog done. You don't need it, you don't want it. Paul said that he was prioritizing things the wrong way. He was not making it about Jesus, as oftentimes he was making it about himself. If you want to have joy and exhaustion, look at the priority list of why you're doing what you're doing. Your value, your self-worth is not contained in how many birthday parties you get your child to throughout the course of the year. Your value, your self-worth is not all the extra, extra, extra that you do in your life. That'll just make you exhausted and quite angry. 
Instead, make sure everything you do is done with the purpose that you're giving glory to God, thanking Him. You're still going to be busy, but there'll be joy in that exhaustion. Loneliness is a cultural epidemic. It's a struggle that we've got going on in our society right now. Even though we are the most technologically advanced in our communication than we've ever been, we've lost this interpersonal relationship. Our faces are buried on screens five inches or so long, looking at our phones. When I flew up here to make these devotion videos, everyone on the plane, everyone waiting in line, that is when we're, where they're looking. They're, we're not interacting. In the book, Bowling Alone, the research shows that we are down 33% having friends over, hanging out with your neighbors. I know when I was a kid growing up, my parents constantly had card club. We had 20, 30 people over at our house. The kids would come over. We played and had so much fun. We are down 33% of having family dinners together. And if families do come together for dinner, oftentimes it's in front of the TV. And so you're not interacting or talking or doing life together. We're down 45% of having a, a close, dear friend. And you might hear that and go, I've got a good friend. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you had that friend over to your house? Simply because you, you like them. Not for a party or anything else. Just you hung out, had a good time together. We are so lonely in our culture. But yet Paul's about to teach us that we can have joy even in our loneliness. That when we even don't have people around us, we don't have to feel alone and sad. Paul was writing to the Philippians and when he wrote to them, he was in prison. Didn't have friends and family around him to have dinner with and to do life together with. But yet look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul prayed with joy. And the reason why is because although they weren't there with him, he was constantly praying for each one of their lives, what was going on with them in their lives. So he felt connection to them. He felt their presence even though they weren't present there physically with him. And so he had joy in those relationships. If you're feeling lonely, you don't have to be alone. And the aspect that you can pray for your loved ones, praying for all the individual things going on in their lives. And then, when you can connect back up, you can find out what's been going on with them in their lives. You feel connected to them. And even though you might be alone, you don't have to have loneliness. And on top of that, you've got your best friend, Christ, that you're praying to. And so now you're connected to him, growing in his love, growing in thankfulness for all that he has done for you. You don't have to be, you don't have to feel alone. During one summer in college, I worked as a commercial roofer. It was hot work, high up in the air. I worked with a lot of college kids and a few lifelong roofers, but they all had one thing in common. Pretty rude, crude language. Cussing and nasty comments came out of all of them. When I came into that job, I wasn't like that. I didn't cuss much. I didn't have a lot of those nasty comments. But after about two and a half months of working on that job with them, that was me. It was coming out of me. It reminds me of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that bad company corrupts good character. I came in with this good character and quickly got corrupted. I didn't like who I was becoming and so I quit that job 
remove myself from that bad environment and things kind of went back to where they were before. Today we're gonna to talk on joy and vulnerability. And what I wanna connect you to is that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, but a flip of it. If bad company corrupts good character, then the opposite is also true. Good company interrupts bad character. In order to do that, you have to be vulnerable. Vulnerable to someone that you're gonna really open up your struggles to. Who could be an older, wiser mentor to you? Who's someone who's 10 to 15 years older than you and you look at where they are in their life right now and you go, man, when I'm at that age, I want to be them. I wanna have a family like that. I want a career like that. I want confidence in Christ like that. Ask them if they'd be willing to be your mentor. Once a month, go out to coffee together, open up your heart to them. God gives you encouragements in a unique way about being vulnerable like that in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Invite someone into your life to help you up. I did this about two years ago. I have an older, wiser mentor, someone who talks to me on a regular basis and I give him permission to ask me the very difficult questions. John, are you abusing alcohol? John, are you being faithful to your calling as a husband and respecting and loving and exalting your wife? John, are you working on your balance between work and home? Are you being the great father that God has called you to be? And I'm very open and very honest with him and he helps me walk the pathway that my faith in Jesus wants to walk. In order to do that, you're gonna have vulnerability. It'll bring you joy as someone is there to support you and the faith walk that you wanna have.